I'll tell you, I worship during these times. I hope you do too. You are blessed. We are blessed by what we get to hear every Sunday morning. Oh, goodness. If I could take you to some of the places I go. In the next few weeks, it is my prayer that we will have some answers that you may have, or answers to some questions that you may have. We're going to be talking about some things like, who am I? And why am I here on this earth? And why is it so difficult to live here on this earth? Why? How can I find joy and peace and fulfillment in the middle of everything that's going on? You hear that coming from a lot of places. It comes from wailing whines sometimes. And from honest confession. Even from William a willful rebellion. Why is all this? I don't understand it. The pattern for people and our behavior in the world where we live right now is being purposely twisted. My goodness. Most of us know that. We live in a, a welter of garbling responses, voices. We're looking for direction in every corner, it seems like, and from every source, instead of looking in the right direction at the right source. God has made people. He knows who we are. He's made us male and female. He has made us wonderful with diversity and endless variety And he's made all of us in his image. And yet, there's a lot of difficulty. Jeremiah said something a long time ago when God led him to say this in Jeremiah 10, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. And he went on to say that it is not in man who walks and and directs his steps. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. It's outside of our will, our ability. So God has given us His commands. Because we've discarded all that He has told us to do and believed them to be obsolete for the generation that we live in now, because of all of that, we find ourselves in a values vacuum. We do. We've missed what Laura read a moment ago in Psalms 19, 7 through 11. We missed that. Some years ago, the late William Bennett made this statement to politicians. He said, it's now politically correct to talk about family or to believe in family values. But he went on to say it's not politically correct to get specific about family values. I say all that to say that in the next 10 weeks, we're going to really get specific about family values. We're going to be looking at God's commandments, His Ten Commandments, Ten Values that He gave to us as individuals and as families. He gave us the law as a gift of grace. And we've just sort of discarded it as nothing that we need anymore. They're not fads. They are laws. The Ten Commandments are very interesting. You know that if you've looked at them at all. In English, they are only 286 words in the Ten Commandments. Not very many words in them at all. But try as you might, you could never... Add 11th. There's nothing you can add to them. Nothing that you can take from them. Most of us know a little bit about the Ten Commandments. You may have them somewhere hung on something in your home. 
some years ago when the state of Kentucky decided that they didn't need to be in our schools and they were taken out of our schools, many people had signs in their front yard. Do you remember that? The Ten Commandments. You don't see as many of them now because they don't mean a whole lot to us now. Probably some of us would agree that it would be good to put the Ten Commandments back in our public schools. Wouldn't hurt a thing, would it? But I ask this question, who in this room, and there may be somebody in this room, who could stand up and give us all Ten Commandments in the exact wording and order that God puts it in His Word? How are we going to keep them if we don't know them? You ever think about that? How can we keep them if we don't know them? Hope you have your Bible and you'll follow along with me. We're going to be looking at Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. And then we'll also be looking at a couple of passages in Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter. So you can mark that with your hand or your thumb or however you can get to it. And I hope you will follow along as I read aloud. I want to ask you to stand, if you would, as I read these verses aloud. First beginning in Exodus 20. Verses 1 through 3. This is the beginning of one of the listings of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. God's Word says, And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now listen very carefully to this next phrase. Out of the house of slavery. I brought you out of slavery... Why do you want to get back in it? And he goes on in the third verse to say, You shall have no other gods before me. You'll notice it's in small case. And then in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, listen to these verses, verses 6 and 7. There in Deuteronomy 6. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be Put in your heart, or shall be on your heart. And then verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. He just about covers it all, doesn't he? Let me just say something right here because I don't want it to slip by us. It's interesting in Exodus 20, verse 2, one of the most glorious facts in all of history and all of eternity is in that verse. He says, I am the Lord your God. Doesn't matter what you think or what you say, I am the Lord your God. It's a fact. God is All of creation declares that he's God. Read Romans. He'll tell you, first chapter in Romans. Conscience declares to men that there is a God because we have innate inside of us a desire to worship. No matter where we are or where we come from. Scripture declares it. The Bible never argues over the fact of God. And then faith declares it because it's rooted in evidence. Well, that's not the purpose of this morning, but I didn't want you to miss that. Would you bow with me in prayer? The psalmist says, Psalms 105, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Deuteronomy 4 says, You will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. Father, in periods of spiritual apathy that we now live in, it is so easy for us, your children, to unknowingly depart from the teaching of your Word. I pray that cold believers, cold Christians, will repent by seeking your face. May we purpose to walk according to your will. 
and to the principles of your word. And Father, you made known your ways to Moses and your acts to the sons of Israel. And I believe you'll do that to your children at crossroads. I believe that. So Father, I pray that the members of this fellowship, including myself, that we will know your ways and daily apply them to our lives. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. We're going to be looking at these commandments. And I believe there are some things here that God wants us to know. He tells us two things in that passage in Deuteronomy that I want you to see right here. He says, remember the command. Or remember the commandments. I've given you these commandments. You remember them. Don't forget them. Remember them. Now, we don't do well in remembering them. But then he also says, not only are we to remember them, but he says that we are to teach them. We're to teach them to our children. To those under our authority, we are to teach them. Now, most of us know the big four, maybe, of the Ten Commandments. Killing, stealing, lying, adultery. But then it gets a little shaky after that, doesn't it? When God gave us the Ten Commandments, let me just tell you right up front, He didn't give them to us to hurt us. He gave them to us to help us. They, they're not given to us to bind us, but to release us. They're not to punish us, but to protect us. And I want you to know that every time God says don't, it is for our protection. It's for our protection. If we ignore them, we get into all kinds of trouble. We have more pain than we can get ourselves out of if we actually do that. God in his word tells us that if we ignore them, it's to our own hurt and how true that is. You know, the the physical world we live in has parameters. If it didn't, we would be in trouble. And we know that sometimes when those parameters are beat against real hard, we look at the physical world and we wonder what's happening next. Those physical laws in the universe are for our protection. But likewise, there are spiritual laws for our protection. Tracks to run our life on. And if we don't see them as commandments... Instead of suggestions, we find ourselves in all kinds of trouble and pain. Psychiatrists tell us, and they've told us a long time, that we all need boundaries in our emotional life. If we don't, children don't have them, they grow up with insecurity. Medical doctors tell us that we need parameters in our physical life, our physical health. We need those parameters, and God knows that we need them so we'll know what is right and what is wrong. The Ten Commandments are given in specific order. If you get them out of order, they lose so, so much. Each one builds on the next one. The Bible tells us, as we look at these commandments... It is where individuals and families are to begin in that first commandment. It is the way of of wisdom for our lives. Verse 3 again, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the principle, put God first. That's what he tells us, to put him first. If I put God first in my life, in my family... God says, I'll be blessed. God says, there's to be no other gods but me. I am to be preeminent in your life. God will not take second place to anything or anyone. He is to have top priority in your life and in my life. He is to do that. He deserves that because, friend, he made you. He made me. I would not have been here. You would not have been here had he not made you. 
I would not have what I have. You would not have what you have if God had not given it to us. Because of that, he deserves supremacy in our life. You shall have no other gods before me. What does he mean by that? Well, I want you to notice some things there. The word gods is not capitalized. It's in small case in this word that we read. He's talking about gods, not Jehovah God. What is a little God? Anything in your life or my life that takes the place of Jehovah God. That's a little God. It can go through a tundra of ranges when we begin to talk about them. But anything that is more important than Jehovah God in your life and in my life is an idol. It can be a career. It can be a person. It can be a sport. It can be good things God created for us. It can be anything you can imagine. But God says, I am to be first in your life. You shall have no other gods before me. So the principle is put God first. But every time God gives a principle, he gives a promise. Did you know that? Anywhere you find a principle in God's word, there is a promise. Anywhere you find a promise, there is a principle to that as well. Let me give you the promise to this principle. The principle is, you shall have no other gods before me. But the promise is, you will be successful. That's a pretty good trade-off. You will be successful. That's what he tells us. What he's talking about here, he will, you will be successful in your life. Let me give you that promise. It's found over in Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible tells us concerning this particular uh, promise that he gives us to the principle, you will be successful, he tells us. And then he says in Joshua 1, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night. Now listen to this. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous and then you will have good success. That's what he's telling us about that. How do you put God first in your life? Well, this morning... I'm going to give us five ways that we put God first in our life. Hope you'll write these down. I hope they shake you up and they speak to you. How do you put him first? There's five ways we're going to talk about them. The first way in giving God priority in your life. Number one, put God first in my finances. Write that down. Put God first in my finances. Now, I just thought we'd begin with the most difficult one first. So we get that out of the way. That's what God's Word tells us. You know this, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Maybe you've memorized it. Honor the Lord with all your possessions. And he goes on to tell us, and with the first fruits of all your increase. And then he tells us, if we do that, that there is a blessing to that. He says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will run over so that you'll have everything you need will happen if you do what I ask you to do, if you put me first in your finances. That's what he says. Give me first place in your finances, and I'll bless the rest of your life. Why does he talk about that? Because finances is really a test of our priorities. They are. Money is a test of our priorities because we spend all of our lives trying to earn it, trying to spend it, and trying to save it. So it's just right up there before us all the time. That's what he's saying. So I want to test you on this, he says, if you'll put me first in that. I want to tell you, if you look at my checkbook or I look at your checkbook, we'll find out a lot about each other as to what really is important to us. And it reveals our priorities in just a moment. Money and how we spend it and keep it really talks a lot about us. 
There's a passage of scripture that's interesting. You may have never seen this in God's word, but it's Moses speaking to God's people before they go over into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 14.23, I want to read you that verse from the Amplified. And you listen to what he's saying. This is a strange verse. You shall eat the tithe, the tenth of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock before the Lord, your God, in the place where he chooses to establish his name or his presence so that you may learn to fear and worship the Lord your God with awe-filled reverence and profound respect always. Did you hear that? That's a tremendous verse. All these gifts, thank God, were edible because they were to eat of it. That's what God tells them to do. When they did that, these people were ratifying and renewing a covenant that involved sharing a meal with God. They were doing this outside the land. They were getting ready to go in that God had given them in the dwelling place that he chose. Now, eating the tithe and all these things that he listed there has a very very profound symbolism. You see, when it was eaten, they could never take it back. It's, it's a symbol of what's going to happen on all those altars when they get over to the land that God has promised them and all that smoke is rising up from all those animals that are being given and it can never be taken back. God is saying, you're to give this knowing that it goes to me as a sovereign God and you're giving it out of reverence and awe of who I really am, the one that you're ultimately accountable to. Tithing teaches us to put God first in our life. Most of the time that anybody talks about tithing very much, people want to know why 10%. I don't know why 10%. Be glad he didn't ask for 30. 10% is what he asked for. I praise God for that. I don't know why that is as such. But 10% off the top belongs to him. It's to him first and foremost. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He isn't broke. In fact, he's not even bent. It's not because he needs it. It's because we need it. I need it. You need that. If I'm not tithing, I'm saying God's not first in my life. When I do tithe, I'm saying, God, I obey you and I'm willing to trust you. I can trust you in this. God even tells us when to do it. On the first day of every week, each of you to put something aside and store it up that he may prosper. That he may prosper. When I give, I prosper. First 10% on the first day of the week, Sunday. If you put him first, God says, I will crown your efforts with success. You will prosper. You will prosper. He's telling us. Parents, let me ask you. Are you teaching your children how to earn money? How to spend money? How to save money? How to give it? Are you teaching that to them? Let me tell you something. You teach it by example just as much as you teach it verbally. That's what we are to do. Put God first. That's what he's telling us in all this. And let me just say something. As a pastor who loves you, I just want to tell you, if you're having trouble in your finances, if you'll put God first, you will no longer have trouble in finances. I could get a lot of testimonies. I could give you a bunch of testimonies that I've lived. But I just want to tell you, he wants to get you to the place that you're no longer worrying about finances. And why wouldn't you want that? My goodness, that's a big stressor. Surely we would want to not have that in our life. So God says, you put me first in your finances and I'll give you success. Let me give you the second thing, the second bullet there. God says, put me first in interest, in your interest, in my interest. 
That's what God's talking about. Is God really number one in your interests, the things you like to do, my interests, my pleasures, my play, my hobbies, my pastime? Is He first? Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the Lord, to the glory of God. That includes my vacations, my recreations. That includes my sports that I play. That includes golf. That includes hunting, fishing, whatever I do. That includes my texting. That includes my TV. That includes my internet. All of this to the glory of God. When I do it to the glory of God, I'm putting God first in that. When I put God first in that, I'll get more out of what I'm doing than had I left Him out of it. That's what He's telling us. How do you do that? In everything, you put God first. It's an attitude of gratitude. God, you've given this to me. You've allowed me to have these pleasures. I give you glory for it. You know, you can tell what a person's interest is real quick. You just talk to them a few minutes and you'll begin to find out some things about them. You'll find out exactly what interests them more than anything else. What excites you? Well, we could talk to each other for a little while and we'd probably soon find out. We get excited about a lot of things. If you live in Kentucky, you've got to get excited about sports. You know, we're called fans. If you get excited about Jesus Christ and you want to talk about Him a lot, you're called a fanatic. Friend, if we talked about God as much as we do, big blue basketball, out where we lived, what do you think would happen in this community? Goodness, that's what he tells us. I love sports too. But love God more than you love those sports. What do you talk about most? What excites you the most? What excites me the most? What is most interesting to you? Ephesians 5.19 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Some of us can talk about things about as long as you want us to. But when it comes to talking about God, about two minutes begins to get us weary and tired. Boy, talk much about the Lord together. Not just in here, where you live, where you work. We're to put him first in our finance. We're to put him first in our interests. But let me give you a third place. We're to put him first in relationships. Put him first in relationships. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say because I don't want you to walk out of here saying something else. Listen carefully to how I state this. If you want God to be first in your life, you must choose your closest friends carefully. Now, don't go out of here saying, Kent says you can't have friends unless they're this, this, and this way. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying choose your closest friends carefully. I didn't make it up. Proverbs 27, 19 says, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. A person's heart reflects who he is. You can be around a person for a while, listen to their heart, and you begin to find out who they are, where they stand, what kind of person they are. That's what he's telling us. Are we really, really choosing friends this way, our close friends this way? They reflect the kind of person we are. The kind of person we choose is who we're going to become like. And who we become like as parents is who our children are going to become like. And if we don't choose these carefully as God would have us to do so, then our children will be exposed to being given friendships that are not what God wants them to be. We become like the people we spend our time with. If I spend time with people who do not put a whole lot of talk or a whole lot of care, they take God lightly, then I'll begin to be become like that. It won't take very long. I'll start being like them. But if I spend talk, if I spend time with those people who talk about God, who love God, who really care about God, who have put God first in their life, I start doing that as well. You will do that just as well. We welcome people to be around us, but we have to choose our friends carefully because they affect us and they change us. And God says, I'm to spend my time in those close relationships 
with those who take his word seriously. Parents, remember that. Your children are pattering what you're doing. If you don't provide the models for them, I'll tell you the world's out there ready with them. It won't take them but a minute to do that. Proverbs 12, 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. The righteous chooses his close friends carefully. I don't know any pastor who would tell you anything different from what I'm going to tell you just in a minute. But after a lot of years of pastoring, I can go back in my mind and remember people that God was working on. I saw them grow by leaps and bounds in their love for Christ and in following Christ as a disciple. They had a desire to get married. And they married somebody who had that who did not have that same desire in Christ. They were unequally yoked. And what happened was, I saw them drift away farther and farther and farther from God. That's what happened. Happened so much. Friend, I want to tell you, it's a lot easier to pull people away from God than to pull people towards God. Happens all the time. All pastors will tell you that happens. Goodness, don't let that happen to you. Don't let your spiritual vitality be sapped. It's always necessary we choose our closest friends carefully. Well, we're to put him first in finances, first in interest, first in relationship. And next, we're to put him first in our schedule. First in the schedule. This is going to get plumb embarrassing. We all are guilty of this. In your schedule, in your time, he's to be first. Ephesians 5, 16 and 17 says, Make the best use of your time. Firmly grasp grasp what you know to be the will of the Lord. How do I put God first in my schedule? Well, you ask him to help you manage your time and your schedule wisely. You ask him to do that. Every one of us has schedules. Yours may be electronic. It may be written on a piece of paper. It may be up in your mind. But we get up every morning and we think, here's the schedule for this day. I've already got these. Here's the things that I need to do. We need to ask God, God, what would you have me do? There's 17 things on my schedule, but I only have time for five. You tell me which ones I'm not to do today. And you know, God will tell you. Do you agree that you can't do everything? Shake your head yes. We do, don't we? We can't do everything. You can't do everything, and I can't do everything. I need divine selection, and you need divine selection. It's vital. I can't pick this out on my own. I go to God, and I say, God, you help me in this area. You help me. I have trouble knowing what is your will and what's my will and how I'm supposed to handle that. You may be a mother or a daddy of four little children. I know your time's all taken up. But we all need to use that time to honor God. What you're trying to do may be good, but it may not be the best. It may not be what God would have you to do. He never asks us to do more than we have time to do. I don't think you heard that. He never asks us to do more than we have time to do. And yet we find ourselves running out of time to do. God, you be first on my schedule. You tell me what is first. What do you want me to do? And the best way for me to find out that is to start early in the morning with him. That's the quiet time at my house. There may be other times for you, but early in the morning I go before God and I put my time, my schedule before him and I say, God, which of these do you want me to do? I can't do all of those. Some of them really pressing. They're important. Which would you have me to do? Even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes, you need to go to him first. God, look at my schedule this morning. He knows what we're to be, what we're to have. The Bible tells us in Psalms 103 verse 14, he knows your frame. Let me tell you, most of us are half-ton frames and we're trying to put a ton and a half on it. You can't do it. You'll break it down. We can't do that. That's what God is telling us. I know a lady in our area, 
who drives to work about 30 minutes early every morning, she says, and she parks in the parking lot where she works and she studies her Bible for 30 minutes before she has to go in. Maybe that's what it'll take in your life or my life. Read his word, memorize his word, meditate on it. God, you look at my schedule and my priorities. You look at all the things in my life. You review it. God, I need to know what's really important to you. Jesus knew what was important. Mark 1, 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. There he prayed. Jeremiah 2, 32, my people have forgotten me days without number. My people, (laughs) my people have forgotten me days without number. Parents, you'll be a better parent when you put God first. When you put Him first in what you're supposed to do. Let me just say something, parents, to you. You take hands with your family when you sit around the table and when you pray. If you don't pray for your food and thank God for it, shame on you. Hold hands. You're teaching your children something. Read God's word to them. Memorize it. Let them memorize it back and give it back to you. Goodness, do that. It's a visual illustration to them or demonstration of putting God first. They need to see that in our lives. Well, we put them first in finances and interests and relationships and in schedules. And the last one, we put them first in our troubles. First in our troubles. When you face unexpected troubles, and they're always unexpected, when you have a crisis, who do you turn to? Who do you go to first? God says, put me first. Put me first. When you have a problem, put me first. Many people, most of us, put God last. Have you ever heard anybody, I've heard Christians say this, and I just sort of shudder on the inside, but I hear people say, well, all I can do now is pray. Boy, that just sounds so helpless. My goodness, that's the only thing I can do now is pray. Brent, that's where you're to start. That's where you're to start. You put Him first. Put Him first. God, help. You can say it to Him in a whole lot of ways. God, help me. Make Him your first Resort in everything that you go to. Psalms 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble. That's what God's word tells us. He commands us to put him first in all that we do. That's what he's telling us. Psalms 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you shall honor me or glorify me. Now listen, folks, that doesn't mean God's going to take the trouble away. Don't get that mistake. It simply means God's going to go through it with me. He's going to give me peace in the middle of this. He's going to give me his direction in the middle of all of this. God put me first. He's telling us. It honors him. And he says, I'll rescue you. I will take you out of the turmoil that you're in, even in the middle of the fire. Well, Kent, I don't even talk to God when times are great. I feel sort of halfway guilty going to him when it's really bad. I feel like that may be the reason he don't answer. Listen, friend, sometimes he lets it get bad in your life, so you will start coming to him. He allows that to happen. That's the only way he can get you there. Get me there sometimes. I've had people to say, well, I don't want to bother God with the little things in life. Friend, everything you've got is little to God. Everything. He handles big stuff, but he's not afraid of your little stuff. He wants to be a part of that. That's what he's saying. It honors me, he says, and I will rescue you in the middle of this. Somebody said this a long time ago, it's no bother to the Father. You just take it to him. Take it to him. You'll know that God's first in your life when you you stop worrying about it and fretting about it. 
and you go to God. Worry is a warning in your life, like a warning light on your dash, that God's not first in your life. When God's first, I have peace. When He's not first, when God's not first in my life, then I begin to worry about finances and interests, relationships and schedules and everything else. But when I say, God, you be first in my life, he brings rest and peace, which is a lot better than the alternative. As you know, you graciously prayed for us. Alice and I and our family went through a crisis. And immediately when the word came, I want to tell you, God just put his arm around me. And I got on my knees and I prayed and I felt his presence. I didn't know how it was going to turn out and still don't know how it's going to turn out. But God was there. It's the antidote to worry and our troubles. And when you do that, parents, those of us who don't have children in our home anymore, those that are watching us will know that God's first in our life. Well, let me give you some life application. And I'm through. If you want success in your life personally, in your family, if you want to build a strong family, then you must put God first. Let me tell you about foundations. This first one is a foundation. Put me first, God says. Foundations take time and energy to be put down right. But when they are there, we begin to stand and stand strong even in the storms. If you want to be blessed in whatever area you're wrestling with, you put God first. That's what he's trying to tell us. That's what he's trying to tell me. You put him first. I'm speaking to men in this place right now men with families, I want to challenge you to make that kind of commitment. I want to challenge you to do that for your family, for your life, for your family, for our nation, for our church. I want to challenge you to say, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to put God first in my life. There may be women who there's no man in the, hus- in the family and you are raising a family by yourself. I encourage you to say this as well. I want to build my life and my family's life on God's principles and God's command. I want Him to be first in my finances, first in my interests, first in my relationship, first in my schedule, and first in my troubles. If you put all those down a while ago and you take the first letter of every one of them, you'll find the word first, F-I-R-S-T. First. Now I want to do something. I believe there's some men, maybe a woman who is the leader of her household right now, who would say, that's what I want for my life. And this morning, if you would be willing to say that, I want to ask you quietly, if you fit into those categories, would you just stand? I want to put God first in everything in my life. Would you just quietly stand right now? Men, would you do that? If you can make that commitment and you desire to make that commitment, all over this building, you would stand and you remain standing for a minute. God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put you first in all these things. I want to pray for you. I'm praying for myself. I'm standing with you as we do that. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I think of Joshua's commitment when I come to this time. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Father, as men are standing in this congregation this morning, we stand before you making a commitment a visible commitment to those who saw us stand. And now, a spiritual commitment to you, Father, that we want to put you first.
in everything. You're to be first in it all. Our finances, our interests, my relationships, my schedule, my troubles. Father, I want to lead my family that they may follow and that they too may put you first in their life. God, I pray for all of us who are standing and I pray that this public, personal commitment would hang in our heart and in our minds and daily we would be reminded of what has happened in this place this morning. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Men, you may be seated. I'm going to do things a little different this morning. We're going to receive our offering in just a moment. Let me remind you again that if you are a first-time guest, you're not to put any money in that basket. Just that card that you filled out so I can write you a note. Before they start receiving our offering, let me share this with you. Have you ever heard people being paged in public? You probably have. I'm sure you have. I'm telling you, there's paging everywhere. We get paged in restaurants and department stores and in uh, uh, grocery stores. You just get paged all the time. And if, you, if you're much, have done much flying, you know that they're just paging people all the time in these airports. And sometime when people's names are paged, they don't really know that. You know, the first time my name was ever paged in an airport, I was at Kennedy in New York. And I thought, nobody knows me anywhere in this place, so my ears weren't even attuned. I don't know how many times they paged me before I finally got the message. I didn't get it. You know, we always think it's got to be for somebody else. It can't be for me. Now, this was back before cell phones, so nobody could call you. But anyway, I think sometimes when we get to this place of the offering and God speaks to us in our mind, we're thinking, who is that preacher pointing at right now? They really need to be pointed at. And we miss our name being paged by God especially when it comes to these areas of giving. So don't you miss being paged. Others, if you'll receive the offering, I think we've got a couple of announcements that are going to be made, and then we're going to do something different. We're going to be doing for the next 11 months, is that right? Yes, sir. Okay, you go right ahead. I'll stand right here with you. Can everyone hear me? Okay, I apologize. I sound a little sick, but I just wanted to give you a quick update on my trip. So I'm leaving this Friday to go on an 11-month mission trip. Six of those months will be in Asia, and five will be in um, Africa. And we spend roughly about 30 days there, and we'll be doing different things depending on our hosts that we pair up with. Um, We actually got our first host ministry to Indonesia this next month, and um, we'll be working with a place called The Center. And what they do is teach different people English. Um, This country is mostly Muslim country, so... You have to be very cautious about what we do there. Um, but we'll pair up with the center. We'll teach people about English and then also be working with trafficking this first month. If you guys want to keep up with me, though, you can always friend me on Facebook. I have a blog, and you all can subscribe to that to keep up with updates about what I'll be doing for the rest of the year. We don't really know until we get to that country with that host. And um, if you all just keep praying for me, I leave Friday to go to Atlanta. I'll have a couple more days of training there and then I'll tell my family bye and leave that Monday to go to Indonesia. So great. Yep. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you to sit down right okay. here in yes, one of these sir. chairs. I'm going to ask you who would like to to come and we're going to lay our hands on her or on those who have their hands on her and we're going to pray for her. And this morning I've asked Jeff, who knows her more than I know her to lead us in this prayer, but you just gather around, if you would, and we're going to pray for it. This is a praying church. We believe God answers prayer, and we want to be a part of it. Jeff, you come on over here, and uh, you, you may not be able to put a hand on her, but you can put a hand on somebody that's got a hand on her, and that's what I would ask you to do. We'll just wait for you who are walking this way. Uh, you can just come on. We want to get them in just as close as we can. We want her to realize, Mackenzie to realize, that 
somebody's going to be praying for her in this church every day for the next 11 months. I'm making that commitment. I'll be praying for you. I'm praying and I believe there's going to be other people who will also put your name on that prayer list. Praying for her protection and for God to use her to reach people for Jesus Christ. Jeff. Father, we do bring Mackenzie before you um, as she prepares to embark upon what I know will be a life-changing journey. Um, God, we know this is 11 months in a mission field that is the world that's going to wander and go different places. And God, she's going to see so many different things. Um, Mm -hmm. She's going to see things that are going to break her heart. Um, Yes, She's going to see things that are going to uplift her spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jesus. And God, I know you're going to get, uh, you'll allow her to be a mm-hmm. part of things that are going to change people's lives. Oh, yes. But Thank God, I know that. beyond any measure of a doubt that the one life you're going to change more than any is her home. Yes. Um, yes because Lord. that's how you operate. That's what you do when mm-hmm. people go yes. on mission. Yes, and, Jesus. Uh, so as she goes, God, I pray that, um, that, that when she is down, and when she's hurting and when she's feeling empty and broken, that you'll help her to keep her eyes on you. Yes. And God, when you throw down temptations in front of her and, and mm. all the other things that, that the enemy lays in her yes. path, yes. God, I pray you'll help her to keep her heart mm. on you. Mm. Um, God, that you'll just envelope her with your protection. Just yes. cover her up. And, um, God, mm. just open her eyes to mm. new things. Yes. Uh, give her a vision for the world that mm. she'll carry for the rest of her life. Yes. Uh, because we know you do this when your people go on mission. Mm. And so, uh, God, just we know that you have grand things in store, not for Mackenzie, yes. but, but for those that she will touch, yeah. for the members of her team. Yes. Uh, God, I pray that you will surround her with mm. godly people, with, mm. with mentors, with um, that, that her peers will be of the same heart and mind. That yes. They'll, they'll be focused upon you. Um, God, help her to go out and make a difference. Yes. To go out and, and reach souls, reach lives. Yes. For our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But when mm. it's all said and done, when this 11 months is over, that you will have been glorified. Yes. The gospel yes, will have been taught and preached. Mm. And, um, yes. God, your kingdom is, is a big one, yes. and, and and your vision is huge. It's yes. far beyond our own. I pray that, that you'll give Mackenzie a glimpse of that vision that is yours. Yes. Guide her as she goes and, and help this church to just keep her covered in, mm. yes. in the coming year. And God, we pray this together as we send her out from Crossroads Fellowship. That's right. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. You are dismissed. <laughs>